Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show's Icon Series. I am Louise Salas, and typically, I am your host. But in this limited series, I'm handing over the reins to historian John Taylor Chapman as he takes us on a journey through history. So sit back, grab a cocktail, and enjoy. Yes, I'm your host, John Taylor Chapman, and indeed, I'm going to take you on a trip through time to explore African and African-American cultural heritage, history, and legacy. This is no ordinary history class, not even close. Each week, I will be joined by some highly respected historians and amazing storytellers, so I promise you this, our conversations will be lively and empowering. So let's get started, shall we? On this episode, we are continuing our conversation with local historian MacArthur Myers. So if you missed part one of this two-part episode, please go back and start there. We'll wait for you. Without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and turn it back over to MacArthur Myers to continue our conversation. Thank you again, John. We're still here at uh, Universal Lodge, the oldest lodge in the state of Virginia. I'm also the grand historian for the most worshipful Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Virginia. And one of the things we talked about was transition from enslaved to freedom, first free, and how the communities of the enslaved was desires were to develop institutions, for instance, churches, schools, and fraternal organization. And the reason I said about Prince Hall Mason, because my particular largest, the oldest in the state of Virginia, February 5th, 1845. And basically what the Masons and uh, benevolent societies, such as the Odd Fellows, Odd Fellows was uh, also in Alexander, the Order of Eastern Stars, these are black fraternal organization. So for our listeners, a benevolent society uh, was the early formation of anti-slavery groups or organizations, um, many times made up of uh, Quakers or those with a religious background. A people of various occupations. He had teachers, uh, bankers, bakers, because baker was a great industry in, in Alexandria because, I mean, even Queen Victoria <laughs> would come over, would send for her biscuits out of the Jameson <laughs> Bakery over here in Alexandria. Wow. So let's go back to Reconstruction, and it re- predates Jim Crow as, as, a, as a law. 1876, when the, uh, the compromiser Hayes Tilden and Rutherford B. Hayes became president, Virginia soldiers and ex-Confederates asking for a rewrite of the Constitution. They didn't like the 1864 Constitution under the restored governor. Mm-hmm. They wanted to inf- empower themselves. So they, were, again, were pushing, quote, unquote, state rights. We have this. We have it was state right issue, one of the issues that caused the Civil War. So with that being said, Jim Crow came in separate but equal, or separate and unequal, mm-hmm. depending on <laughs> and unequal. So within that, then you had the depression of uh, 1876, 1873. I'm talking about the economy as a national, as a whole. First generation of free people. They had some of them had trades, but at the same time, they weren't able to, to do work to get work. So those fraternal organizations was able to help stabilize, enfranchise mm-hmm. some, enfranchise for humanity. So anyway, we could drill down to separate but equal with the, you know, because D.C., 
Once you travel south and you got in D.C., you had a, uh, you had to transfer the trains where the black folks had to sit in the back mm -hmm. and to go south because of that law. Um, meaning once you got to Alexandria, you were sitting up front, you were breaking the law. Say, say that again for people who, yeah. who aren't really understanding that some of these things are already in place as we get into the 1900s. Yeah, yes. Now, Jim Crow enfranchised a whole lot of people, a lot of white, to empower them to do wicked things. Wicked things such as you got to get off the sidewalk when I pass, or you, what are you doing eyeballing me? Uh, you know, even legitimizing lynching, which we had two lynchings here in Alexandria as well during that time, 1897 and 1899, um, which we will talk about, I hope. And it was just like, black folks don't, you don't count. You, you know, we don't care about the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, you know. Get off the sidewalk, eyeballing. So it's it's a, it's a crazy time, but it's pivotal time. And a lot of those laws stayed up until 1954, mm. when uh, they was able to say, wait a minute, it's separate but equal. It's not necessarily separate, but uh, separate and equal. So you got the great dissenter of John Marshall Harlan that voted against Plessy versus Ferguson, which. In my opinion, he set the moral tone. He was against a lot of things that the Supreme Court was wanting to go with, which enfranchised Jim Crow. John Marshall Harlan said, you know, and I know why he did this, because he had a black, black brother by the name of Robert Harlan, H-A-R-L-A-N. And what John Marshall saw, and then his grandson became more on the Supreme Court and later on in the 1850s. But John Marshall, the great dissenter, saw what his natural talent of his brother how he overcame some things, and he became a councilman in Ohio during the mm. Reconstruction era. Okay. So he saw his brother. So going through, through that, so the 1920s, you had what we call the New Negro, which I would say that's the second generation of free black. Let me tell you about this great man in Alexandria, Freeman, Freeman Murray, F.M.H. Murray. Alexandria had two description of the Underground Railroad. One, of course, during the enslaved, and the second was the anti-lynching. Freeman Murray was born in, o in Ohio in 1850. He lived almost 100 years because he died in 1950. But with Freeman Murray, he lived next, he lived on the corner of uh, Alfred and Princess Street. He, could, he was autodidact, could speak about seven languages, self-taught. Mm -hmm. wow. And one of the things that he did with Alexander was bring culture. The Renner, I call him the Renaissance man. He would bring sculptures and plays and theater. And in his house, he had developed a theater. He was a newspaper man, too, a writer. And so his son's company became the Murray Printing Company. But what Mr. Murray did, when Alexander was transitioned from dirt road to cement and putting in sewer infrastructure, he also built a tunnel six blocks long where the, where the black got to the river. And once they got to the river, they were able to go south, go to Delaware, or go to Baltimore, and so forth. F.M.H. Murray, bad man, bad man. I got to drill down on this, yes. uh, this, this tunnel, because I think yes. that's something that I've heard only through kind of word of mouth and mm -hmm. rumor. So is there any more information you so, can give our listeners about it? 
Some people say there was there was a tunnel come out of uh, Christ Church as well, huh. going down. Uh, that's a great question uh, that we can uh, explore on it. But in his book, whose book is written by his uh, great niece, okay, uh, it's called F. M. H. Murray, and you can see all of that documentation, and you can see the uh, resource that will validate some of the things. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's that's interesting, and I, I I appreciate the fact that you you talk about both kind of underground railroads, yeah. and I, I think everybody, like you said, is more familiar with mm. the the underground railroad that happened during uh, times when, when for prior to the Civil War. Mm -hmm. But talk a little bit about the need for the underground railroad during the time of lynching. Yes, yeah. it's um, it's very simple but a hard, hard situation. So with black folks, with the black codes, after the Civil War, it was, it was danger. Mm -hmm. It was danger. Mm -hmm. even, even, not only by the skin, but even with uniforms. How many soldiers get, got lynched or got beat up because they were wearing a uniform? For a lot of the soldiers, they would, they would take the uniforms off before they can try to blend in with, with, the, um, with the community. So with the lynching, April 23rd, 1897, 19-year-old male by the name of Joseph McCoy was lynched, quote-unquote, for assaulting a white woman or looking at a white woman. Then in 1899, a 16-year-old lynched on the corner of Fairfax and King, supposedly assaulting a little white girl, you know. But you see, this whole thing about lynching, it wasn't just no two or three people. Lynching was huge because they was, you know, these two particular two, they happened spontaneously. Mm -hmm. But as you'd be surprised how many newspaper article, there would be a lynching of so-and-so and so-and-so as an advertisement. And people would come for miles and miles around. So you may have five or 6,000 or maybe 2,000 people there for a lynching. It was, a, it was an event. So with Mr. Murray and others, they was getting people out of the South because, and this all predates the Great Migration, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. of the 20s. They, people were migrating out of the South, period, because of hard times and going back into slavery. You know, that's where that whole sharecropper um, concept come from. You know, never win, but a lot of people was, was attached. But once the, I, I, you know, I'll give you an example. The rise of Cincinnati, Cincinnati and Kentucky. Mm -hmm. 1828, the whites had asked the blacks to come over from Kentucky to help with the, uh, with the economy, not the economy, but help with the work because they didn't have enough work in them. So when the blacks start developing their neighborhood, oh man, we can't have that, we can't have that. So they, the whites ride on the, on the black. So the blacks, oh man, this is crazy. So they rebuilt their neighborhood, and then they said, you know what? And so the whites did it again. They said, we're gone. They went to Canada, a little town called Wilberforce, Canada. So all I'm saying that to say this, resiliency has been the essence of the story and survival of the black race in America. Resiliency. You just look through the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, 1950. The white woman got the right to vote in 1920. Black woman didn't get the right to vote to 40 some years later in 1965. In my lifetime, in my lifetime. So it's a lot. I know I've said a lot. Yeah. Because to know America, 
And to know Alexandria, you know America, because Alexandria was a home site of two conventions under the Bill of Rights, under the Letters of Correspondence, and of course, then under the Civil War. Can you talk a little bit more about schools and, yeah. and how, because I think that's okay. a very interesting story about okay. how some of the single-sex schools started yeah, yeah. and then kind of how we get to, yes. I don't know if we want to take our, our, our listeners all the way up to school integration, but, yeah. you know, starting off with some of the early schools for African-Americans, okay. um, I yes. think that's an interesting yeah. history as well. Okay. Remember I said prior to 1846, mm-hmm. the was on the D.C., public education and educating black folks was close to the norm, mm-hmm. whatever norm may be, but you have access to it. Yeah. After 1846, schools were outlawed in the state of, in the city of Alexandria. But you still had people that was teaching because some of the, some of the masters, if you will, would teach their enslaved. And that enslaved would teach somebody else. So they did it in secrecy, like I say, the alleys. Or You cannot deny the will to learn. You can put all kinds of rules and laws around it, but man's capacity to learn is a God-given natural order of thing. People with curiosity want to read. People with curiosity, you know, we go back to Egypt. We could go back to, to, to Africa with all that, but then we won't go there today. That's another subject. But for Alexander, you had Mr. Perry, P-A-R-R-Y. He had a school down there in what we call Uniontown along the, along the Strand or along Union Street by the tunnel. Then you had Miss Chase. She had a school um, by um, Wolf in South Royal Street. So we had teachers, but... Because of uh, uh, the Oblate Sisters, which is a Catholic order in Baltimore, they, that's where Miss Sarah Gray went to school. Miss Sarah Gray started, she was teaching, she was teaching at 12 years old, you know, uh, you know. So you had people that was teaching because that's the natural what people wanted to learn. Now for Alexandria itself, and, I, and it's funny you ask that question because I have the deed I, over here. I have the purchase of the deed of the land that, and, and, the, and the company being George Sim, John Seaton, he mm-hmm. was a master carpenter. He mm-hmm. built these schools. He sure. built the Pitt Street School, which is what we call Lyle's Crouch School. And that was a school, uh, this, uh, Howell, the Snowden School for Boys. That was, uh, a lot of this came after 1870. But mm-hmm. then you had... Um, the Snowden School on the 400 block of Alpha Street for girls. That's where Miss Sarah Gray uh, had uh, taught. However, even with George Washington, George Washington set up a campus, uh, what he called the Alexander Academy for the orphanage. And uh, I'm laughing because I went, when they were building a new Charles Houston wing in 1958, I had my first grade class was at this academy. My first two years of school was at the oh, academy. Wow. Really? Yeah. And then we had to walk down to Lyle's Crouch for lunch. So with that being said, just Mr. Leland Warren, who was the, mm-hmm. um, the founder of Shallow Baptist Church, he was a school teacher. He taught at the academy during the Civil War. And after Julia Wilbert, uh, 323 South Washington Street, after Julia Wilbert left there after the Civil War because it was a hospital, he opened up a school at, um, there as well. Um, because, and, and then the schools were called Normal and, and upper, meaning this. Normal school was for everybody that can um, learn the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. 
But the upper classes was for teaching theological or seminary, teaching you how to be a minister. So, uh, or, and so what happened in the teacher? So you had upper and normal, and all the churches had that. Um, and so what the hope was that the teachers would kind of stay local or they would go out into the, to the black communities and teach throughout the state. The, the um, mm. theologian, the upper room as the upper, upper classes was basically for those who wanted to go into the ministry and then go out and preach. And we have great, great examples here in Alexandria. Henry Bailey. Henry Bailey was sold at the age of nine to down deep south, and he was sold to New Orleans, but he, eventually they sold him to a family in Texas, and fortunately he was with a family that taught him the Bible. Mm. So after the Civil War, Henry Bailey, as they say, quote unquote, walked back to Alexandria to find his family, and he found his family on the corner of uh, Queen and Queen and Payne Street. So the bottom line with that is, what Henry did, he went to Wayland Seminary, which is for your, uh, for your uh, direction, it's called Malcolm X Park now, but the Wayland Seminary was on that site, which then joined the Richmond Normal School. That's where Virginia Union come from, because this is uh, a seminary theological back background. So Henry, Henry Bailey went there, and he met a young lady by the name of uh, uh, Ella Lee, that's Janie Lee, who started the Manassas Industrial School sister. So he oh. married her. And that's Miss Annie B. Rose's father and mother, who the um, apartment's here called Annie B. Rose. Miss Rose lived a long time, too, almost 100 years old. Yeah, and for, for folks who are mm -hmm. listening mm -hmm. who, who might not be familiar with some of those names, mm -hmm. I know, you know, mm -hmm. from my understanding, um, Annie B. Rose was uh, oh, an man. amazing, She's grand dame. Uh, amazing I mean, civic yeah. activist here in yeah. the city. Then you had... Then you had Samuel Madden. Samuel mm -hmm. Madden was a long-term preacher at, um, at um, Alpha Street Baptist, and he also was a traveling preacher because he would go to a little community called Gump Spring. Gump Spring mm, founded in 1833 by West Ford, right. and he, was, he helped start the Bethlehem Baptist. Wow. Then you had uh, uh, George Washington Parker, so there was a school here in the community called Parker Madden in my lifetime. Oh, wow. There's a lot in this town. There, there definitely, definitely is, and it seems like you know all of it. No, no, no. <laughs> My sister called me nosy. <laughs> That's all right. But no, I know this has been um, mm. a great listening session for our, for our listeners here. Mm. Um, so again, Mac, thank you. Thank you for taking your time yeah. out to, to go through mm. uh, the vast history we gotta uh, teach, John. of we gotta teach. Uh, Alexandria. And African Americans in our in our town. One city, many stories. That's right. One city, right. many stories. Tell them all. Absolutely. Well, thank you Tell again, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes, man. I'm humble. <laughs> I'm humble. Thanks, man. Yeah. The cocktails inspired by today's guest and living legend, MacArthur Myers, were crafted by Master Barkeep John Schott, co-owner of King's Ransom, which is located right here in Old Town, Alexandria. So to check out his twist on a few classics like his truffled dirty martini and pear rosemary bee's knees, or to find out how you can join one of John Chapman's manumission Black History Guided walking tours, head over to designateddrinker.show. That's designateddrinker.show. 
The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.